Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sharing our experiences paddling our way through the national parks, especially in one very watery national park. We're back. I have lots of podcast guilt. I do too. It's been a long time. Long, long time. We've been neglecting you all, so we are really sorry about that, honestly, uh, because we, I just feel, I feel like we dropped off the map, and that's not polite. Um, but... <laughs> or professional. Yeah, it's been a really busy last uh, few months, but, uh, you know, Christmas, holidays, traveling ourselves, we were gone the first two weeks of January, having some adventures. And the last two weeks of December with family, we were gone for almost a solid month of just moving around. So it's, it's been, it's been busy. We've been working and going to school and occupied but we need to come back and finish what we started with our national park reviews so we are super excited to talk today all about voyagers national park and kayaking so before we start though we wanted to catch you up just a little bit on where not just where we have been but also where we are going next with the rest of our podcasts so after today We only technically have three more podcasts to record before we are like, quote unquote, finished reviewing the national parks. So just to remind you, we'll be talking about ranger programs with Joshua Tree and Wind Cave. We'll be talking about um, visiting parks with friends, and that's Shenandoah, Rocky Mountain National Park. And then we'll be talking about family-friendly parks with Great Sand Dunes and Carlsbad Caverns. We also maybe have an interview or two to do as well. Um, and then we'll decide where we're going to go from there. But that's that would wrap up our actual 15, national park. Our 59 national park series. Yes, the series. That's a good way of putting it. So that, It only took us two years to record 50 <laughs> podcasts. If you all have... Um, ideas or uh, not ideas we can come up with those but what you want to hear about regarding the national parks uh, topics anything let us know because we would love to cover what you would love to hear Uh, we have a few ideas you know might transition to focusing a little more on current events parks have been in the news a lot lately and there's a lot we can comment around that um but we're going to just see how it goes and finish up strong. So you can expect to uh, tune in these next few weeks to hear about those um, those next topics. I promise we won't take another uh, unexpected drop off the map. I hope not. So f- before we get in to the main event, I wanted to share some of that Parks in the News stuff because there's been a ton going on, first of all, but one of the most m- of it's depressing. <laughs> if you if yep. you haven't been paying attention, yeah. Um, but this particular 
piece of news is that the Department of the Interior just named um, a new National Park Service deputy director. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about their own press release and then just share a little commentary uh, on this person because we know that he'll be a f significantly impacting our parks that we love and the direction of those parks and the policy uh, regarding them. So this new guy is Paul Daniel Smith, and he brings, according to the press release, nearly four decades of public service experience, including serving as superintendent of Colonial National Historic Park in Virginia. So he will have a crucial role in leading more than 20,000 National Park Service employees who care for America's 417 national parks and NPS programs that help communities across the nation preserve local history and create close-to-home recreational opportunities. So basically he said it's an honor and a privilege to return to DC with invaluable perspective from the field that I gained during my time as superintendent. So yada yada yada. Um, you know, when we, I did hear about this at the time, and besides the main fact of the announcement, I heard some commentary from a few different uh, news outlets, one of them being NPR, which published a piece um, titled, Official Who Allowed Tree Cutting by NFL Owner is Named National Parks Director. It's always a good sign. Right? Right. Well, yeah. It's also a good sign that Ryan Zinke speaks very highly of him. <laughs> so it's, I'm so excited to see where this goes. Right. Um, so basically, according to this article, the new acting director of the National Park Service. So it, from my understanding, he's not official yet. Uh, is a former parks official who has who was reprimanded 12 years ago for pressuring employees to allow the owner of Washington's NFL team to cut down trees for a better view of the Potomac River. Um, so he had previously retired from the Park Service after 31 years until he was just named direct deputy director. So he's coming out of retirement and it was in this previous role as um, special intendant to the park service director that he made... Special assistant? What did I say? You said intendant, which is not oh, a word. Special, <laughs> special assistant. <laughs> I was thinking superintendent. Okay. Special assistant to the, national, to the park service director that he made headlines over a decade ago in a 2006 investigation by the Interior Department the inspector general found that Smith, quote, inappropriately used his position to apply pressure and circumvent NPS procedures on behalf of Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Redskins, and Snyder subsequently cut down more than 130 trees on federally protected land between his house and the C&O Canal. Um, I assume the thing he wanted a better view of. So anyway, that, of course, he refutes that, that he un, uh, 
um, inappropriately use that influence. But just wanted to share a little bit of the official stance and then some of the commentary around this new appointment. Uh, so we'll be following him and the, the uh, consistently changing direction of the NPS. It's really a nice way to put it. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to be polite for now. You don't need to. Okay. <laughs> We're a little afraid. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely concerning, but we'll uh, again might be bringing in some episodes with more commentary uh, in the future. We should mention that we will post some of these links on our show notes where you can read more. The one article was from NPR, and the one was from the Department of the Interior. So we'll post those at some point on our not at some point today on the show notes. Um, so you can read through those as well. But yeah, a little bit of Parks in the News for you. Now for some happier news. And what we really love covering, the actual parks. Actual parks. Actual things you can do in the parks. And nobody, no, no party can stop you from going to the parks. Well, they can when they shut down the government. But <laughs> it's not closed right now. Okay. Anyway, um... We are covering Voyager's National Parks today, and that's exciting. We're actually only covering one national park because we usually talk about two, you know. Um, But this is the odd man out because there are 59, so one had to be by itself. And today's kind of a specific topic, so Voyager's stands alone. Um, We are talking about kayaking through the national parks. And the reason we're talking about Voyager's is because it had... Our kayak probably made the biggest impact on our trip in Voyagers compared to other parks. And it has had a big impact because Voyagers is... 40% water. 40% water. It's in the land of 10,000 lakes. If you're not caught up on your state slogans, that's Minnesota. So right on the border of Minnesota and Canada, near the town of International Falls, is Voyagers. And it's basically a collection of land and water, and this water is a bunch of lakes that uh, seem to be connected to each other. And they're not, it's not the Great Lakes, but they're really big, and they're just west of all of those Great Lakes. Um, so it's a really popular park um, for water activities, for houseboating, for fishing. Um, But right now, we're going to talk about kayaking. Yeah, so if you hadn't really followed along much on our trip, we took an inflatable kayak with us, a double kayak. It's a The brand is Sea Eagle, and I think it's the 330, 330 model. It's just like a very, it's their basic, like $200 model. Um, So it's good for beginners. It's not great for like, sea kayaking necessarily um but it was perfect for what we needed it was very adequate we we um kayaked through remind me if i missed any coal because here's the ones i've i remembered that we kayaked in congaree national park dry tortugas biscayne everglades big um big bend channel islands yosemite glacier grand teton voyagers and glacier bay but in glacier bay we rented a kayak and didn't use our own. Did I miss any? No, I think you got I them all. I think I got them all. So we used it 
quite often. Definitely got our money's worth if we were were to rent a kayak in any of those places. Um, we definitely paid for it paid for itself really quickly. It's also inflatable, so it just fit inside of our um, car top carrier or just it would have fit inside our car. Um, so super handy, super different, unique way to experience the park. Um, it could be really off the beaten path. It could get us away from the crowds, but it could also kind of, it, for most people, it can be pretty family newbie friendly. And it was really nice to be able to just jump on the water, uh, not have to go through the hassle of renting a kayak uh, or those lovely safety explanations and trainings, whatever. They're um, very important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it takes about 10 minutes to blow up, maybe. And you're just on the water super quick. And some of those times we kayaked, it was just we had a spare, you know, two hours. Um, so it doesn't have to take, it doesn't have to be a whole day activity. But in Voyagers, it actually was. It was. It was the main thing that we did was kayak. So Voyagers is a park with a very short, um, like on season, peak season, um, in, so mid-June to August is when they, they run ranger programs, boat tours, uh, free canoe tours, actually. Um, and then the kayak rentals are open, the houseboat rentals are open, but not until about mid-June. So when we visited a week before all of this started, in like the second week of June, um, we expected everything to be open for summer, and it wasn't. So the fact that we had a kayak was everything. Of course, most people will probably plan ahead <laughs> and know this, but don't forget to check because even if you think like it's the dead of summer almost, like everything should be open, um, Voyagers has an especially late starting season. So for us, it was awesome that we were there a little earlier because there, were, there was no one there except us. All the backcountry sites were open and available um, and we had our own boat. But if you don't have your own boat, don't go until mid-June. <laughs> and it wasn't that crowded on the water either um, because I imagine in the heat of summer, you're going to have lots of boats zipping mm-hmm. around and you can probably still find some solitude, but it was pretty nice when we're going like, I don't know, would you say three miles an hour maybe on the lake, really fighting these really slow. gigantic waves um, and wind. Yeah, it's, it was nice not to have these anybody boats. else trying to get you know run into us. Yeah, or watching us. Or watching us struggle. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first place we went to yeah. was called the was the Rainy Lake Visitor Center, and that is the part that is right outside International Falls. It's on the western side of the park, and it was um, Rainy Lake is the biggest lake in the park and we you know after talking with the um the visitor center and reserving our backcountry site we just hopped on the water and we kayaked across the lake to this island where uh, we had our own backcountry site it was the only one there so we had the island all to ourselves and that was just a really cool piece of the park is that you could because these there were so many of these little islands and each one basically 
in most cases only had one campsite Mm -hmm. you had great solitude and it really felt like a private retreat Mm -hmm. yeah so each campsite some of the the, uh, some of them are different some of them are more equipped but ours was just a tent site so it had um a little sand beach area where we could dock where we could pull up our kayak and tie it up to a tree and it had a just a flat tent area it had a picnic table it had a a little toilet um but that was it so it's pretty basic. Some of the sites also have docks. So some of them are equipped for pulling up your houseboat, which I think would be so much fun to take a houseboat trip in Voyagers where these houseboats, you know, they have the beds and everything you need for them. They have like hot tubs and slides into the lake. Um, and then you can just like dock at a different backcountry site every night. If you plan out your route ahead of time, it's not expensive. Um, and I think it would be so much fun. So that's for a different day when we have money. It would be an awesome group trip. We've already, oh, it would be so fun. already thought it all out. Who wants to go with us? <laughs> We're serious. <laughs> um, but anyway, the houseboating is really cool. Kayaking was similar. So we just had to bring our stuff with us. There's no water available, so make sure you have – I mean, there's a lake. But make sure you have water filters and plenty of fresh water that you bring along with you. And bring maps. Um, It was really easy to navigate, I thought, just based on all of the different islands. And we had a pretty detailed map of the islands. So we didn't struggle at all navigating our way through. But just make sure you have a map with you. (laughs) Yeah, because when you're on the water and getting, like, turned around as you try to steer your kayak, it's not uh, exactly clear what clump of trees is which so anyway the first the first night was awesome that was our first little trip it was a gorgeous sunset um right over the water just as the loons flew in uh and landed in the lake in front of us and the sun set behind making everything glow um as we looked out from our private beach was just really really peaceful Mm -hmm. Um, awesome and uh, another random thing that you can do, like they do have little uh, points of interest throughout the lake uh, because a lot of the area was an old mining, um, uh, is filled with old mines and stuff. Mm-hmm. So just one of the random things I did before we set up shop for the night was kayaked over to this old mine. So uh, is just interesting stuff you can find in any national park. But it was, you know, you can't get there anyway, but kayaking to this one specific island. Yeah, so that was our first kind of kayaking excursion. We went in and out the same way. So we ended up back at the visitor center, drove around to a different visitor center called the Kabe uh, Tagama, something like that, Big Lake, um, that the Kabetegama Lake Visitor Center. Um, and that's where we started our longer kayaking trip all the way over to the Locator Lake Trail. So what we did here was really interesting. They have cached uh, canoes inside some of their interior lakes on their bigger islands. Um, you can't actually bring your own watercraft. So we couldn't portage our boat because of the... Um, like the invasive species that they don't want carried from one lake to another. So we actually had to just leave our kayak tied up to the dock 
there, take the two-mile Locator Lake Trail to Locator Lake, and then get in one of the canoes um, that we rented through the visitor center, got the key um, to unlock it, and then canoed through the lake to our other campsite. (laughs) So it sounds kind of complicated. It really wasn't. If you look at a map, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Bring a lot of bug spray for this one. Any of the interior lakes are especially buggy, especially in the summer. Um, but this was a really cool site because we really had the whole in- interior lake to ourselves. Literally and it was the whole lake. Really because... marshy, and it was really like it had a lot of lily pads. It was just a really pretty setting, and totally alone. We were totally alone. I remember we were actually the first ones to camp in this backcountry site that year. So... Yeah, and it was June. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely an off the beaten path sort of thing. Um, Lots of opportunities for stuff like this all throughout the lake, though. Another option you have if you don't have your own kayak is to, if it's if you're during the on season, during the the peak season, you can actually just take a, uh, I don't know, get dropped off by a boat. So I think there may be water taxis or I don't know exactly how it works, but you can get dropped off at one of these trailheads or one of these backcountry sites and then get picked up at a set time. Um, so that's another option if you don't have your own kayak. Yeah, we're going to link the map um, in our show notes because it really does help to, for this park in particular, to uh, just visualize everything that we're talking about. But I thought it was so cool, just the novelty of kayaking from, we, we started at Wooden Frog State Forest Campground where we launched our kayak, kayaking through all of these little tiny islands all the way to the other side and where there's no development at all on this side of the lake, just dropping off our kayak, hopping on the trail, hiking down, jumping in another canoe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that was just cool that we are getting so far out there, so much on our own. And um, the cool thing is that, and the reason I appreciate it as a park so much, is that this is a, you know, this is a peninsula. This is connected to the land, I think, Right. Right. It's not an island. Right. It could have been so developed. There, they could have easily put a bunch of like vacation houses and um, all sorts of like restaurants and stuff like this. It would be so pretty with all of the little islands and all of the little um, bays and like nooks and crannies. Um, but it's a park, and we can all enjoy it, and it's in its natural glory, <laughs> and that's what I love about it. Yeah, and then. Once we were set up for that night in the backcountry, we were able to take the canoe a little farther down this long skinny lake in the interior and see all the beaver dams and go through the marsh uh, where it gets like a really skinny passageway. Um, And again, just lots of different waterfowl all over the place. Um, Definitely just made this the silence that much louder the beauty around us Mm -hmm. there are a couple other areas of the park that we i feel like we drove up to one of these did we drive to ash river yeah okay so there's another visitor center called ash river visitor center um and then there's one more called crane lake but we did not go there correct right okay so we drove up to ash river and didn't go um in the water at this point we just kind of looked around and maybe hiked one of the trails we did i don't a few remember of the trails. okay yeah there was a um, beaver it's been pond a long overlook. time <laughs> yeah there's beaver pond overlook and then we did the 
uh, snowshoe trail. Okay. That had, you know, it was just a nice little wooded trail, nothing too fancy. But there are quite a few trails on the mainland and in the interior uh, peninsula area. So a lot of opportunities, even if you visit in the off season, a lot of these on the map are located, are, are labeled as snowshoe trails and ski trails and things like that. So there's lots of options, even if you visit in the winter um, or in the spring in Minnesota. So it's still going to be pretty cold, um, but lots of options for all seasons. Yeah, and again, I want to go in the fall sometime. I think it'd be oh, really yeah. pretty in the fall. Yeah, early fall because <laughs> fall comes <laughs> early up there. Yeah, um, I think actually International Falls was in the news lately because it was like negative thirty or something ridiculous. Um, but I heard about them and I'm like, oh, those poor nice people that we <laughs> we that was when we did our. Um, we, we were interviewed by the local International Falls newspaper. And, I and they took just... us out to eat at that nice restaurant. Remember oh, that? That was yeah. right on the lake. And we daydreamed about um, renting a houseboat someday, yeah. coming back and renting a houseboat. Um, it's an awesome park. It's, it's you know, it's different. Um, you think about national parks and you think about mountains and you think about the Grand Canyon. Um, but this is important too. And I think sometimes it's really important to remember that that these kind of parks also matter a lot to the ecosystem and just to the entire national park system yeah and to wrap up the kayak piece it really did allow us to add another dimension to the park experience you know we were on our own schedule at our own pace and it was you know in places that there weren't any crowds at all so it gives you a different view than what is usually accessible. And that was really special. So thanks for checking us out today. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks, Switchbacks out. out.